we've been in a series uh, on the book of Job, and um, I want to kind of catch us up uh, as to where we've been, um, because this is the last week of the series, and so in many ways, kind of everything that we've been doing has been leading up to this point. And so uh, what we found is that Job really offers us some important questions and considerations. Uh, we, found, we began by asking um, the question that is presented to us uh, right at the beginning, and that is, does God run the world uh, according to universal reciprocity? Okay, that's a fancy term. Uh, essentially what that means is, uh, it, does God's justice uh, essentially boil down to good people getting good things, bad people getting bad things? Uh, universal reciprocity is the concept that everyone gets what they deserve. Uh, and so the book of Job immediately poses this question to us, is this what God's justice look like, looks like? Is this how... Is this the framework that God uses to run the world? Uh, and what we determined in that first week is that uh, this is, in fact, not the case. Uh, because we're told that Job is blameless. We're told that three times in the first two chapters, that Job is blameless. Uh, and yet, here he is suffering so deeply. Uh, and what we learned in the first week is that, in many ways, we're invited to just sit, we're, we're invited to sit with the mystery of suffering. Uh, that if we move too quickly to find answers or explanations, we're likely to misspeak about God or end up blaming victims. And so what we lay, Jesus would actually later illustrate this with his teaching, uh, during his teaching to love our enemies. Uh, he'll say, the sun shines on the good and the evil and the rain falls on the just and the unjust, uh, which is essentially a way of saying that God does not run the world according to universal reciprocity. People just get what they deserve. Uh, and in the first week, we ended with, uh, even as we sit in the mystery of the suffering that we experience in life, we can with confidence know that God suffers with us. And that's what Christ shows us, that God in Christ suffers with us. Now, in the second week, we discovered uh, that Job's friends actually think that God's justice is universal reciprocity. Good people get good stuff, bad people get bad stuff. And so what happens is when they see Job suffering, they try to explain his suffering, uh, but what they end up doing is they end up blaming the blameless. Uh, that in trying to, to in, they become so uncomfortable in sitting with the mystery uh, that they have to find explanations. And in their, uh, in their feverish attempt to find explanations for suffering, they end up blaming the one who is blameless. And we learned then that blaming the blameless is actually the work of the accuser. That the accuser, we never really hear from him directly, uh, that is the Satan, the Hasatan. Uh, we never hear from the accuser directly after chapter two and it's because the spirit of the accuser goes into the friends who's, who move to blame Job, the blameless victim. Uh, you know, essentially what we boil down to in week two is if we behold tragedy and seek to blame or accuse, we're doing the work of the accuser. But if we behold tragedy and seek to help and to heal, then we're doing the work of God. Um, and then last week we looked at um, how God weighs in on all of this, that uh, essentially the way the book of Job is structured is that the, the wisdom of the ages represented by the three friends uh, has all been exhausted and finally God weighs in. But God weighs in through a series of rhetorical questions. In other words, God does not provide answers, but he provides perspective. And what that perspective shows is that the world is a complex place. Justice usually isn't as simple uh, as Job and his friends may have thought it was. 
Uh, and ultimately what we learn from this kind of string of rhetorical questions is that God is trying to point out to Job that life is a gift. Life is a gift. Um, as ironic as this may sound, <laughs> I have really enjoyed preaching through the book of Job. <laughs> uh, Job, this book about suffering, has, has actually been a lot of fun for me to, to explore uh, and preach through. I, I've learned to see this book in ways that I've never seen it before. Uh, I've learned to see this book in brand new ways. Um, I've, and I've actually been struck by how much this text speaks into the issues that we face every day. That this book speaks to us about the nature of justice, how we treat vulnerable populations, the suffering. And in many ways, this book is really meant to challenge us. Um, it's, meant to, it's meant to be a little bit in your face, to say, do we find ourselves in the story in the friends? Like, do, I, do we find ourselves in the friends who look for clear-cut answers about how the world works, but then all they end up doing is misspeaking about God and blaming the victim? Sometimes it's easy for us to immediately identify with Job because, universe, because suffering is so universal. But I think part of, the, um, part of the nuance of this book is it challenges us to say, to ask the difficult question, do we see ourselves in the friends, blaming the victim, looking for clear-cut answers? Um, I find this book to be deeply meaningful, and I hope you've enjoyed the series, um, as I have personally been enriched by it. What I want to do today is I want to see how this whole thing wraps up and kind of look at it from an overview and, and, and try to... Um, not put a little bow on it, right? Because that would be looking for clear-cut answers, and that would be us just doing the friend thing. <laughs> uh, but try to gain some perspective as we do that. So let me say a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll close this series up. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the scriptures. Uh, ancient as they are, they have come to us um, to offer us wisdom. And ultimately, Lord, to point us to the living word who is Christ. So God, as we explore the words of God, uh, no doubt inspired by you, um, written by our ancient brothers and sisters who were seeking to understand your identity, your character, how you operated in the world. Um, Lord, thank you for the wisdom that these scriptures offer to us, specifically the book of Job, as we have found uh, that this ancient book, uh, although universal in its scope, um, is, is as relevant and meaningful to us today as ever. And so, Lord, um, as we close this series, would you once again speak to our hearts? Um, would you challenge us where we need to be challenged? Would you move us where we need to be moved? Would you lift us up and encourage us where we need it? Ultimately, God, we pray that you uh, would be active uh, through the proclamation of the Holy Scriptures. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when we left off last week, God was weighing in on the situation of Job's suffering uh, after the wisdom of his friends had been exhausted, and God weighs in. But God does not weigh in and provide answers in the way that we may have expected, but rather what we find is a string of uh, hun literally hundreds of rhetorical questions. Uh, questions like, were you there when the earth was created? Uh, did you hang the stars in the sky? Do you know the source of the wind? 
Uh, and then we had a lot of fun with the two mythical beasts where the God essentially says, have you seen the behemoth? <laughs> he is strong and he cannot be bothered. Or consider Leviathan who cannot be tamed or put to work for any purpose. He does what he wants and when he wants. And in an effort to kind of get us to where we're going today, I want to just kind of quickly circle back uh, and point out a couple of key things about God's line of questioning uh, that I think are really, really important. And that is, the first is, God does not in any form or fashion or any time during his questioning of Job, God does not try to defend himself. In other words, uh, God doesn't enter the situation and, and say, here's what's going on. Uh, the accuser thought that you only worship me, quid pro quo, for what you get out of it, and I had to prove him wrong, and so I let him do this to you. Uh, that's what's been going down. I apologize. Uh, here, this is what's happening. God doesn't, God doesn't do any of that. He doesn't ever try to defend himself. And it is, isn't it true that we always want explanation and answers? Um, like when doctors are trying to find a diagnosis for symptoms, uh, we often want answers even if the news isn't good, just so we know what we're facing. You ever had a situation like that? I, don't, I have all these symptoms, I don't know what's going on, and if I just had answers, if I just had a diagnosis, if I just had an explanation, then I would know what I was facing, right? And I can imagine that Job was exactly like that. If God would just weigh in and tell me what's going on, then, then I could deal with, okay, this is, this is how God reveals himself, this is what God is like, all of this kind of stuff. But God never enters in uh, and, and tries to defend himself. He doesn't provide that kind of clarity for Job. The other interesting part about God's response is God also does not engage with the nature of Job's suffering. And, and this one I would have expected. Um, I, I certainly would have liked, if I was in Job's position, I would have liked God to engage with me and at least recognize or acknowledge the nature of my suffering. But God doesn't do that either. He does not address the reality that Job has lost his health, his wealth, and all of his children. God never once acknowledges all that Job has gone through. And so if you're anything like me, I would expect God to enter into the scene with just a little more compassion, a little softer touch, <laughs> uh, a, a little more, uh, a, a little bigger heart. And it seems to me that maybe, maybe what God is, is trying to do with Job is through this line of questioning is he's trying to shift the focus from Job's suffering to something else. And this ultimately is kind of what we talked about last week, that through the line of questioning, God essentially takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe in order to remind Job that life is a gift. That all of this in its complexity, in its nuance, in its bright colors, in all of its shades of, of, of gray that are uncertain and we, we don't really know and we don't have all the answers, that, that essentially all of this, as complex as it is, is a gift. God essentially is saying to Job, remember Job is wondering if life is worth it. And God, through rhetorical questioning, points out to Job, there is life that is happening all around you if you'll look for it, if you'll begin to see it.
The question I think we immediately have, after four chapters of rhetorical questioning, just like kind of one-liners coming at you, four chapters, um, one of the key questions for me is, does Job actually get it? Right, like, like how does Job respond? Does he actually understand what God is trying to do? Or does Job's response point us to kind of what God is trying to do? Because really how Job responds, it really tells us how this line of questioning has impacted Job. You with me? Like, because we, we can come in and see God as kind of coming out guns blazing. I can do what I want, when I want. And so were you there and did you do that and you can't do that and all of that? Does Job receive it like that? Or does Job actually receive it in the ways in which we've perceived? And so let's look at Job 42, verses one through six. And this is Job's response to all of this. It says this, then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you declare to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to center in on what I feel like is maybe Job's greatest moment of faith. Chapter 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. It strikes me that what Job took away from God's line of questioning was not a sense of guilt. Uh, or that God is some puppet master that doles out blessing to some and hardship to others. But what Job does is he gets a sense that the story is not yet over. That he immediately, that the first thing he does in response is that he, con- he confesses the capability of God and the purposes of God. It's essentially, he gets this sense that the end, that this is not the end, that the one who brought all things into being has purposes that have yet to be accomplished. And what's interesting is that after the revelation of Jesus, the Apostle Paul will say to the Christians in Rome, God causes causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And then in that same section, the Apostle Paul will say, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so through the witness of Christ and the wisdom of the New Testament writers, we now know that God is working all things toward uh, all things toward redemption or working toward the redemption of all things. And so the question of did Job now the, the question for me is did Job actually see this clearly? Does he know the weight of his own confession? Does he understand the weight of his own confession? To which I would say maybe, but I would as as equally say maybe not, (laughs) right? That there is this reality that sometimes we are too close to our suffering that we cannot yet fully see. But now we can look back and see that Job had some sense 
that the purposes of God were yet to be fulfilled. And so the first thing in his response is Job has this confession of the capability of God and the purposes of God. And then it ends with repentance. I don't love the NRSV here where it says I despise myself. I don't think that the the perspective of God should lead us to despise ourselves, right? But there is this sense in which Job is seeing that there's, there's such a grand scale to life. And, and I think that sometimes we don't always, in the midst of our suffering, just tell the truth about the world or ourselves, right? That, that maybe, he, maybe he's in a place where he's seeing the, the, the grand scale of the universe and that leads him into a self-awareness that might, be, that might bring him into language of, of uh, despising himself, but, but I would simply want to say that I don't think that that's the intended outcome. And so what, but I do want to focus in on the reality that it also does lead him to repentance, that there is this confession of the capability of God and the purposes of God, and then also though leads him to repentance, which, is a key, which leads to a key question, what, of what does Job repent? What is he repenting for? Remember, he is blameless. So at the end of all of this, do we find that Job repents of sin that made him deserving of his suffering? Wouldn't that be a 180 to this whole thing, right? To which I would say, no, Job is not repenting of sin that made him deserving of the suffering that he has endured. To do so would be to let go of his claim of innocence. So when we look at the word repentance, I think, you know, we've said this before, and I've heard, I'm sure you've heard this, but repentance means changing your mind or turning around. So the key question for us is, what does Job change his mind about? Right? So again, let's do our best to kind of enter into Job's mindset. What is he thinking? Uh, put yourself in, the, in, the place of, uh, in his place as, as one who has suffered. What is he thinking? Well, I'll draw your attention back to Job's lamentation in chapter 3, probably the most bitter lamentation in all of Job, maybe in all of Scripture. You remember he says this, he says, let the day of my birth be erased. That this is a bitter lament and one that we cannot just gloss over because it reveals to us the mindset of Job in the midst of his suffering. That he is essentially concludes that life is not worth it if it means going through this much pain. He's asking existential questions that maybe you have asked. Questions like maybe to have never existed would have been better. He's, he's making, he's admitting out loud that it is difficult to make my way in this world and I wonder if it is worth it. Perhaps you've been there. This is Job's mindset. But remember, the nature of repentance is to change your mind, to move in a new direction. And so when God weighs in, 
through a line of rhetorical questioning not meant to place guilt upon Job, not meant to say to Job, I am God and so I can do what I want when I want. But essentially God weighs in with a line of rhetorical questions meant to point Job to the complexity, the beauty, the grand scale of the universe in which we live and to point to that all of life is in fact a gift in which Job immediately, his first confession is the capability of God and the purposes of God. And so Job recognizes the redemptive purposes of God cannot be thwarted and what he changes his mind about is life. What he changes his mind about is life. That instead of the conclusion that life is not worth it, he reaches the conclusion that life is a beautiful gift where we experience the full gamut of emotion and experience and it is all worth it. You with me? That's perspective. That's maturity. The ability to be in the midst of of deep, deep suffering and hold to the confession that life is a gift and that the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. I couldn't help this week as I was thinking about this. I couldn't help but think about um, this song called One Wild Life. And uh, the lyrics just kind of kept running through my head. And, it, and I, you guys know that I love music. I often quote song lyrics. Um, and so this, this song, because I, I feel like art is so important in our lives. Film and, and music and painting and all, all of these things are so important because they, they communicate truth in a way uh, that the narrative prose of a sermon cannot, right? Uh, and, and so I recognize sort of the limitations of this uh, avenue of communicating truth and, and want to bring in other avenues. So, so here's, the, here's the lyrics from this song, One Wild Life. Brave the rise and fall. Go on and feel it all. I want to feel it all. Love the rise and fall. Go on and feel it all. I want to feel it all. See it as a loss or as chance. Is it random chemistry or is it poetry? These are the days we've been given. What will you do with each of them? What will you do with your one wild life? You see, it strikes me that that this, in essence, kind of points us to what Job is trying to show us. That God, with his line of questioning about the behemoth and the Leviathan, is essentially saying these creatures are wild and powerful and dangerous and beautiful and fill us with awe and they cannot be moved and they are full of life. And essentially these two mythical creatures become a word picture of what the world is like. That the world right now is not set up to prevent suffering. And if we can learn to see it all as a gift, then I think we've, we've moved toward maturity and Christ-likeness. Maybe you've heard the kind of the, the little uh, 
cliched lesson, which I think is appropriate here. I wonder if Job came to the conclusion, it is better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. It is better to have tried and failed than to have never tried at all. Job realizes that the world is designed in such a way that it allows for great beauty as well as great suffering, for this is what the radical love of God requires. And when you are suffering, so when you are suffering, do not be dejected, but trust God that the redemptive purposes of God are at work and that in the end all manner of things shall be well. Or if I could sum up Job, if we could come to the very end of Job, if I could sum it up, I would say the book of Job is an invitation to trust in the redemptive purposes of God. The book of Job is an invitation to trust in the redemptive purposes of God. Some of you are like, I've read Job before and you haven't covered the ending. (laughs) Let's cover the ending. What I'll call the epilogue. I don't call it the epilogue. It's listed right here in the scriptures. Epilogue. I was taking too much credit there. Verse 7. I, want to read, I don't want to read it from this translation. Let me read it from the, the New Living Translation. The Lord said to Eliphaz. Remember Eliphaz, the Temanite? One of the friends of Job. He was one of the first to speak and blame Job, blame the blameless. He's the one that implied that Job's friends, uh, Job's uh, kids were sinners and got what they deserved, right? This is Eliphaz. Friendly guy, okay? The Lord said to Eliphaz, I am angry with you and your friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Hold on to this. At the very end, at the very end, God says, you have not spoken correctly about me. For all of the friends' blame and shame of Job, for all of their explanation of suffering, for all of the reasons that they gave that God has acted in such a way toward Job, God weighs in directly. This is as close as we get to an answer. And he says to Eliphaz, he says, you have not spoken correctly about me. But Job, but Job, with his confession that the purposes of God cannot be thwarted, Job has spoken correctly about me. Church, if we can read Job and resist the temptation throughout the narrative to think that the friends are making a good point, then it will do a lot in our formation of how we treat vulnerable populations. You with me? If we can read Job and hold on to what God says about Job, that he is blameless, then it will inform our lives a lot about how we treat vulnerable populations. So I encourage you, resist the temptation throughout the narrative to think that these friends are making a good point, for their explanation turns into accusation, is wrong, and it makes God mad. Their theology, what is theology? Theo, meaning God, ology, meaning a word about. Their word about God is no good. Their theology is good is no good. It's bad. And God this will blow your mind, okay? This will blow your mind. God feels as though he should punish them. He's angry at the friends. 
for all the things that, all the ways in which they have misspoken about him. He is angry. He feels as though he should punish them. But he says, I will accept Job's prayer on, your, on their behalf. So if Job will pray for his friends that have just bitterly accused him, then I will not do what I'm tempted to do. (laughs) So Job prays for his friends that had become accusers, and God does not bring any harm. Do not let that gloss over too quickly. Job prays for his accusers. Job prays for his accusers, absorbs the blow of their blame, thereby ending the cycle of blame and accusation. Come on, church, this should sound familiar. In Job, we have a prefigured Christ who is innocent and yet endless blame and accusation is brought upon him. And when given the choice, he could either respond in accusation and blame right back, but instead absorbs the blow of blame, absorbs the blow of the accusations, and then prays for the forgiveness of his accusers, thereby ending the cycle of blame and accusation. This is the power of the cross. The power of the cross is not that God was so angry at you, he wanted to beat you up and he beat Jesus up instead. Man, church, we've got to get over that. We have got to move past that. But if we learn to understand that the single disposition of God toward humanity is one of love, is one of redemption, and that when we spat our accusations, and when we spat our blame on the innocent man, Jesus Christ, he absorbs all of that. He takes it on. That's what forgiveness is. And then he offers that forgiveness back to those who accuse him. This is what saves us. It puts a mirror to our own ugliness and shows us a better way. And then by his spirit, we are empowered to walk in that better way. That is salvation. Salvation is not God was so angry at you that he had to get his debt paid off somehow, that he had to punish somebody. Because guess what? If you are so mad at sin and you want to punish somebody and then you punish somebody, nobody and nothing has been forgiven. You got what you wanted. You with me? Forgiveness is absorbing something. It's absorbing the blow and ending the cycle. And that's what we see in Jesus, prefigured in, in Job. Man, I'm preaching now. Come on. And then Jesus, of course, is vindicated by the resurrection, that, Je- that the resurrection of Jesus is the first sign of new creation, that we today, thousands of years later, can hold on to hope and can hold on to the, the promise of renewal and res- restoration because of the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus becomes the first fruits, the very first sign of new creation. And so we hold on to hope with the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and He is risen. Right? And so, when we come to the end of Job, we find that Job's life is restored. His health returns, his wealth doubles, and he is blessed with ten more kids. Job was blameless all along, and he is now vindicated. Please, 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 do not read the ending of Job as this. If you just hold on to faith, God will give you all your stuff back. Please do not do that. Okay? There is so much more truth and beauty in it than that. Then just like keep doing that, and God is therefore obligated to give you all your stuff back. Because then it's all about the stuff, right? What we have at the ending of Job is not some empty principle about getting stuff back after you hold on to faith. What you have in the ending of Job is the author's way of pointing us to resurrection and renewal. It's this blameless victim who absorbs the blow, right? Absorbs the blow and then experiences a resurrection, a newness of life. It is exactly the prefigurement of the work of Jesus for all of humanity. That's what Job is trying to show us. It is not some surface level like principle about just kind of hang in there, you know? And that's not that hanging in there is bad, right? Like hang in there, that's a good thing, okay? But understand that there's so much truth and beauty going on here that offers up to us as the people of God a robust hope in the restoration of all things, a robust hope in the renewal of all things. That when we are faced with the tragedy of others or tragedy in our own lives, given the witness of Job, given the witness of Christ, given the wisdom of the New Testament authors, we can begin to say, God, you are fully capable and your purposes will not be thwarted. You with me? Revelation chapter 21. This is the Apostle John, the disciple John, who receives a vision. Toward the end of that vision, he says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now you have to understand that what he's doing there, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's not a way of saying that God destroyed this whole thing and then started over. It's a way of saying that the old order of things had passed away. And then the sea was no more. And in in ancient mindset, particularly in this genre of scripture, this genre of writing, the sea was seen as sort of the, the birthplace of evil. And so they're saying the sea was no more. The world is now set up to prevent suffering with me he goes on to say and I saw a holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride and adorned for her husband 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first order of things have passed away. And then the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. That's why we can hold on to robust hope in the midst of suffering. So I want to end Job by saying, life will no doubt bring you pain, maybe to varying degrees, but all of us will suffer. We'll experience disappointment, heartache, heartbreak, and everything in between. All of us will suffer. So when life brings you pain, pour out your lamentation to God. He can handle it. But then also learn to see the sheer gift of existence. For God is making all things new. And ultimately, with the book of Job, this universal book about suffering, is a book that invites us to trust in the redemptive purposes of God, for he is fully capable, and his plans will not be thwarted. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book and for this powerful truth. I pray, God, that you would help us to hold on Hold on tightly to the messages of this book about how we are to treat vulnerable populations, about the beauty of life, about the nature of hope, even about the complexity of the world. Maybe justice isn't always so clear-cut. God, thank you for your restorative and redemptive purposes. We confess today, based on the the evidence of the Old Testament writings based on the evidence of Jesus, God made flesh, based on the wisdom of the New Testament writers, we confess today that core to your character is redemption and reconciliation, that you are a God of love and love alone. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to participate in that work of renewal. Help us, Lord, to see that work of renewal in our own lives even when we suffer. And may we take great comfort today in the realization that you suffer with us, that you do not remain aloof to the circumstances of our life, but that you are with us, walking with us through it. And thank you, God, for the ways in which your true character is revealed on the cross that when we spat blame and accusation and tried to shame you, you did not spit blame and accusation and shame back at us, but rather you absorbed the blow and then prayed for our forgiveness. May we embody that today and may that reality truly change us. In fact, Lord, may it save us. Be with us now as we gather around your table today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.